Oh my goodness. It's been a while, folks. It has been a lot longer than I expected it to be. Uh, I think the last time I signed off on uh, our devotions here on Tuesday morning, um, I think I said, uh, I'll see you in a couple weeks because I was going to be speaking at a retreat. Uh, and then that turned into uh, six weeks. <laughs> so that was a little unexpected on my part. Maybe bad planning, maybe bad scheduling. I don't know. But I've been speaking all over the country this summer at various retreats and things like that. And so haven't had a chance to get to you here on Tuesday mornings, but we're just starting to get back into... Uh, something close to normal, something close to normal. I can't guarantee any of that, but you know, it's, um, uh, yeah, so I'm back here today and I figured we'd start off fresh with a brand new book. We're looking at second Corinthians, uh, chapter one verses one, uh, through 11. I don't know about you, man, but my summer has gone by, I think the fastest in my life. I mean, it just record time. Uh, this summer, and I feel like uh, I barely uh, stepped into it, and now we're we're heading into fall. And uh, and actually, I'm I'm kind of looking forward to to getting into some sense of normalcy. I'm I'm looking forward to getting into the rhythm. You know, when you've been moving a lot, you just look forward to some sort of predictability and stability in life. So so I am uh, ready for that. So. Anyhow, so we're looking at 2 Corinthians 1 through 11, and then we're going to continue looking through the book of uh, 2 Corinthians for a little while, uh, because it's it's a book that's got some length to it. Um, by way of introduction, you know, just to kind of introduce you to the epistle, it is, of course, written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, there's not much disagreement about that. I mean, everybody sort of uh, has accepted and seen this as Paul's writing from uh, the earliest days of the church and most uh, a good number of scholars anyway. I always I always hesitate to say most scholars because there's always um, you know there's always a mix out there, but uh, it tends to be a very common view that Paul wrote the letter. Uh, and he writes for a, a number of reasons. Uh, as we'll see today, he writes to, I think, strengthen them in their suffering. I mean, they are suffering as first century Christians in numerous ways, and he wants to encourage them as they uh, endure the suffering that, that comes along with uh, the name of, of Christ, especially in that day and in that place. Uh, but he also writes, I mean, just very practical stuff. Second uh, Corinthians has a long section on why it's so important to be generous and to, in their case, fulfill the obligation they had made or the promise they had made to Paul that they were going to give a gift to help the struggling and poor saints in Jerusalem. So uh, there's there's those kinds of things. And then he also writes, I think, to rebuke those who are following what are known as the super apostles. Super apostles. Um, you can only guess what that means. Um, but basically, these were guys that were touting that they uh, touting their real strong apostlehood and they were comparing themselves to Paul and Paul from all we can tell was not a very impressive public figure um, at least the way that he's described it's not uh, he's not described as being a person full of charisma and these super apostles seem to have been very charismatic figures and many in uh, the, the church in Corinth were uh, following after them and tempted to follow them and so Paul's going to address all that stuff all that stuff in this letter, excuse me, but without further ado, let's go ahead and just dig in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Paul, 
an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy our brother to the church of God that is in that is at Corinth with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ now I won't spend much time talking about uh, Paul's greeting here this is a pretty standard greeting the only thing I do want to highlight or emphasize in this is that Paul clearly states that he is an apostle by the will of God at the very beginning and part of the reason he does that that he says I'm an apostle by the will of God is to counteract those who are saying they are quote super apostles and therefore more important than Paul he wants the church in Corinth to know that he speaks with the authority that God has given them. Now we know that the church in Corinth was a hot mess of a church. And yet right off at the beginning of the letter, he does this in his first letter to the Corinthians too, he refers to them with such glowing terms. The church of God that is at Corinth with all the saints. He includes them as saints, even though they've got all these messy things going on in their church, all this sin, it shows that there's not really been, there hasn't been too much that's changed from the first century to now, you know, it's, the church is filled with sinners, and it was back then too, and, uh, and yet, and yet he refers to them as saints. And so the first thing I, I think is probably healthy for us to think about is how might we try to apply this way of speaking about others in our own lives as we address Christians whose life and maybe uh, ideas don't always uh, impress us, don't always make us happy, how might we, to use the language of Luther's small catechism, put the best construction on other people? How can we think consciously to try and make look at them through the best possible lenses because Paul seems to do that with the Corinthians in both of his letters even though he is going to rebuke and so it doesn't mean that we're less truthful uh, it doesn't mean that we ignore issues but how do how do we uh, think through think about people through those gospel lenses so that's the first just little nugget from the first two verses here now Paul is going to talk about in his very opening theme how it is God uses affliction uh, first in the lives of others and then in our own lives. What is God doing through affliction and suffering and difficulty in our life? Verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves comforted by God. Let's pause there for a second. Affliction here can literally be translated uh, pressing or pressing together. It's, it's pressure. It's a term for pressure. If you're a human being, if you've lived on planet Earth, you have experienced something like the affliction Paul is talking about here. You've experienced pressure. You have experienced stress. You have experienced the sense of being squeezed from every side. At the same time as Paul talks about affliction in these 
just two verses that I just read. He also uses the word comfort five times and ultimately ten times throughout the passage. God is said to comfort Paul in his, in his companions in all their affliction. So the question is, how does God bring comfort in the midst of affliction? Well, one of the purposes of going through the affliction and, the, and then thereby the comfort of God, Paul says, is so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which our, we ourselves are comforted by God. In other words, part of what God's doing as we go through struggles and stresses and afflictions in our life is he is giving us the ability to then comfort others who might go through the same thing. Now, I'm not talking rocket science here, but you know why support groups exist and how they come together. Support groups exist all over the world because it's people that have gone, they're just, they've bonded over going usually through a similar kind of suffering. So there's cancer support groups and there's people that uh, have had, uh, you know, children that have uh, committed suicide support groups. There's, I mean, there's an endless list. I mean, I'm not going to go over all of them right now, but there's an endless list. And what, what is going on there? It's people that have gone through it before. They might not have all the answers as to how to get out of it and how to deal with the problem, but they, it's, there's something really, really important about knowing there's another person out there that can say, I know, I know you're not alone. On the other hand, if somebody tries to say, I know, and you're not alone, but they haven't gone through something similar to what you've gone through, generally speaking, it's just not as effective. It just isn't, and that's not the fault of the person that's trying to comfort, but there is a sense in which when, some, when you know somebody's gone through it, you're just more likely to hear from them and be comforted by them. And that's what Paul says God does through the suffering, is he, in some sense, he gives these apostles the ability to empathize with the people they're serving because of their own afflictions. Now they can comfort those who are afflicted. So that's one thing that God's doing in the midst of this crushing and this pressing and this affliction is he's giving you the ability to be an empathetic soul to the people around you. All right, let's move on. He says, for as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Paul, Paul sees now, looking back, maybe not when he was going through it, but looking back, he sees all the affliction and the stresses he's gone through as utterly a way to benefit those he serves. He sees it as a means by which he can, he can relate to and thereby comfort those who are struggling. Now, what was the affliction that Paul's talking about here? Well, we don't really know. Um, it could be his time in Ephesus, referenced in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, we don't really know the specific afflictions that he's talking about. 
But nonetheless, whatever it is, he sees it as a means to comfort those he serves now. And so it's just a great perspective on whatever uh, you go through to be able to say, God will use this in the lives of others to serve others. And ultimately, that's why God has left us here after saving us and hasn't just beamed us right up to heaven. You know, I mean, he, he's got work for us to do here for the good of our neighbor. So how does God then use afflictions in our own lives? Well, Paul says, verse 8, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despised of life itself Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence, death. Now, I just have to stop here and correct a very common cliche statement that you will see crocheted on all sorts of Christian products uh, all over the world. And the cliche is, God will never give you more than you can handle. Nonsense. Uh, I'm sure you've heard it before. This verse is one of those verses that confirms that that statement is nonsense. What does Paul say him and his companions felt like? Utterly burdened beyond their strength, and they felt that they had received the sentence of death. They wanted to give up. God gave Paul much more than he could handle, much more than he could handle. And sometimes that is the case. Christian, I man, I feel like that statement has been used to bludgeon poor Christians that can't bear the weight of the world upon their shoulders to say, God will never give you more than you can handle. And you're sitting there going, I can't even get up. I can't even open my eyes. I'm so exhausted. I'm so beat down. Please don't tell me that because it feels like he's given me way more than I can handle. So let's just get that right out of the way here. Let's get that theology of glory and throw it in the garbage where it belongs. It's nonsense. It's awful. It's a burden to you. But why? Why does God allow Paul to go through something that he can't handle? Verse 9. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Here's the purpose that Paul says is behind God's allowing him to be afflicted, utterly burdened beyond his own strength, to make me rely not on myself, but on God who raises the dead. In other words, he's saying, you know, when I rely on myself, I'm relying on a guy who doesn't have the power to even stop my own death, let alone the deaths of everyone else. But when I am brought to an end of myself and I find myself relying on God, it turns out I'm relying on the one who has beaten all of these afflictions and one day will end it all. And there will be nothing but joy and there will be no more weeping and there will be no more sorrow and there will be no more affliction. And so I'm going to look to him, Paul says. This is what the part, this is this is what God's doing in the affliction for me, Paul says. So so let's wrap it all up. So first, God uses our afflictions as a way to serve others. We're able to comfort others that are going through it. Paul talks about that as apostles and what they're doing. And then he says for himself, what God was doing through the affliction is causing him to give up on his own stubborn self-reliance and trust 
more in God instead of himself. And so what, what's the hope ultimately in all of this? Well, I want to read just a little bit from a little bit further in Paul's letter because I think it's, the, it's just a real important nugget here to get the, the perspective. It's from 2 Corinthians 4, verses 7 through 18. I'm going to read this and then we'll, we'll close. Here's Paul's hope in the midst of affliction. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And here's what Paul, in the final analysis, considers it all. He says, for this light, momentary affliction... Remember how he talked about it in the very first verses. I felt like I, I was going to die, that I couldn't go on with living. But in light of eternity, for this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And that's where... We'll leave it. Nothing to add to that. Amen and amen. Hope you have a great week. Glad to be back with you again. We'll see you next.